This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Might not be a happy episode, there is still a lot of turmoil in the CBA negotiations between the owners and the players union. We're going to be getting into all of that. No deal is has been made before the imposed deadline today by Major League Baseball. So joining us tonight will be Job Goddard, Andrew Dwan. Andrew has kind of forewarned this could be a little heated, so Maybe the language might not be uh, quite up to snuff, but there's a lot of a lot of frustration. So we're just gonna have it out, and hopefully uh, the next episode, whenever that will be, will be a little bit more optimistic. But we're gonna break down uh, what happened in the last 48 hours and what our thoughts are on that. So before we get into it, how are you guys? Eh. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> I I went from resigned to the fact there was going to be no deal to turning on Bob Nightingale tweet notifications to absolute depression in the last 24 hours. So I'm doing doing okay, but not really doing well. We got we got swindled by Boob. I mean, the fact that no one else was tweeting out last night should have been the ultimate red flag. <laughs> we all broke our the like the biggest unwritten rule of baseball Twitter, which is don't listen to Bob. We all listened to Bob. No one else reported it. And he literally took the cheese from the owners so hard. He just went right into their trap. And we kind of deserve what we got today. I, I woke up groggy and optimistic. And now I'm just been groggy and angry since like 5 p.m. Andrew's talking about Bob Nightingale, who writes for USA Today, who's infamous for jumping the gun, reporting false stuff, probably based on shady sources. Who knows? Only he knows. But uh, yeah, so Bob Nightingale basically owned baseball Twitter last night and uh, gave us a lot of optimism. And I said 70% chance we make a deal at the end of the day. By about noontime, I was down to about probably 40%, and it just trickled from there. Before we get on to that, I mean, is Nightingale worse than Heyman? Yes. Okay. I, well, Heyman at least knows he's a mouthpiece. Bob is just so <laughs> oblivious to the world, he doesn't know what's going on. See, I don't feel like Heyman reports, quote-unquote, fake news. He just reports what he's told without asking any questions. Okay. Bob just reports stuff that's that straight up doesn't happen. I I think Heyman tends to get a little philosophical at times and 
Um, sometimes he just tweets for the sake of tweeting and it's just, I don't know, but I think he is connected to more owners than, than any other writer. So, you know, there's that. Terry, can I tell you what happened in my day today? I think it just, it'll explains my feelings as we get into this episode. Yeah, go ahead. So, I you know, I woke up early. I had too many drinks last night, right? So woke up early. Went to work. I'm working. I got a call from my sister about 4 o'clock. PM? She just got a job with the, the Washington Nationals. Okay. She calls to tell me she got the job. I'm all excited. I'm looking at my phone. And then I had to tell her, like, 15 minutes later, like, there's no deal. Like, you're working in the marketing department, and you can't market players. She's like, I know. This is, this is going to be weird. So she's going to have the most unusual entry into the sports business that there's ever been. And I think that was the highest and lowest point of my week in like 45 minutes. But it's, it's been a tough day. Quite the swing, quite the swing. So, uh, Andrew, I guess we'll, we'll let you bat lead off. Um, how do you feel about the way the last 36 to 48 hours went down? And what do you expect in the next several days? I'll start off with the last part there. I expect nothing. I, I think we're done for a while here. What's going to change over the next 48 hours? Nothing. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw Manfred's press conference today, but he was chuckling. He was chuckling. He was yucking it up. He was, he claimed that the last five years, and this was when he was asked why they weren't going to raise the CBT the first three years. He said baseball's had a bad last five years. Baseball has pulled in $43 billion over the last five years. That's an amazing bad five years. So if they're just going to go in that ignorantly, we stand no chance. The Padres just recently put out a statement kind of saying like, yeah, don't, don't blame us. We're not part of the group that wants to hold us back here. And it's the small in, you know, mid-level, but, you know, also multi-billionaires teams that don't want to get a deal done. Rich Hill came out and said it the other night, said it's the small town teams that are like, you know what? Kids are in school. We can't sell tickets at night. We're not going to make money. We don't care if there's a delay. And that's what we're seeing. It's absolute ridiculousness. Uh, Manfred said we have a payroll parity problem, which I don't even know what that means. No one's telling Peter Angelos he can't spend money. Peter Angel is worth like four point one billion dollars. The their payroll's been about forty. What what team does he own again? He's the he's the uh, Orioles. Oh, the Orioles, yes. Okay. Oh, the cheapest team in baseball. Yeah. So like, what are we doing here? I there, no one's poor. No one is cash poor. None of these owners made their wealth in the game of baseball. This is a side hustle. This is a hobby that they can brag about and bring the friends to the nicest luxury box, show off their players, and just, it's a status symbol. And the fans are just left, you know, standing on the side of the street, looking at these empty stadiums that are all publicly funded. I don't understand how this is even allowed. I don't understand, quite frankly, like, there's some people on my timeline that are pretty pro teams on this. And it's like, listen, 
the teams have had a great. They're not losing money. If they were losing money, they'd sell their team because they can make three billion dollars in the blink of an eye. No, don't don't take the propaganda. This is all really just agitating, and I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And I tend to be pretty optimistic when it comes to most of this stuff. Joe. Well, I think the owners had a, a specific plan for how they wanted to go about this. They had no intention of playing 162. I think they're happy with 120. I think that's their their point at which they start to make money. Um, Andrew's right. They don't sell tickets in April or May for most teams. No one's going to a, a Kansas City Royals game in early April. The Milwaukee Brewers, even when they, they're good, they struggle to sell tickets until about June. I think they had an idea in mind that if they played cash poor, we were all going to accept it the way that we've accepted it in the past, and the players would accept it the same. And uh, Jeff Passan, who has been vehemently pro-union in this argument, negotiation, whatever you want to call it at this point, not really even negotiating, put out the financials for the Atlanta Braves and absolutely destroyed the veil that these teams were not profitable. Do you guys know off the top of your heads how much money the Atlanta Braves made in the 2021 season? Only because I saw it, so I'm not going to ruin it. But let me preface it with, you have to remember that these stadiums weren't even full to begin the year. This is this is a, a fact, right? This is at 40% until May, 60%. Until July, 90% through the rest of the season. Now, just in the regular season, they made $90 million. Including the postseason, I understand they played more games than everybody else. You make more money in the playoffs. That's just the nature of it. They made $104 million in profit last year. That's You pay the players, you pay the employees, you pay the taxes. You made $104 million. Any idea how much that is per game in a regular season? It's 640 or other. Yeah, it's 0.64 million. So $640,000 per game that they are making on TV deals, tickets, concessions. You want to buy a beer at the game? $16. Everybody buys two beers. Everybody buys a hot dog. It adds up. $640,000 a game. They know that they are profitable. We now know how profitable they are, and the players who've known it forever now realize that if they don't start putting their foot in the ground with the six-year labor negotiations that we have every six years, they are going to get screwed. I mean, I know we all have different opinions on this, but the fact they wouldn't budge the CBT, right, the, the collective bargaining tax for the first three years of the deal as owners is embarrassing. That doesn't happen in any other sport. Granted, $220 million is a lot of money. Baseball players are fully guaranteed contracts. They make a boatload of money. No one is cash poor. But, I mean, the fact that the MLB owners wanted to stick it to the players, and then they were like, hey, wait, maybe we can save a buck if we get the union to agree to cut half the minor league jobs. Like, can we please just play ball? Give up a little bit. It's 0.001%. That was never going to work. Cutting the minor league teams, I mean, that it was a non-starter. No, yeah, but 
But there's just so many different ways which they're trying to stick it to the players. And I understand the players are making money too, right? But you make no money until you make it to the major leagues in baseball. It's not like other sports where you're getting paid in like the NBA G League. You can sign, you know, sponsorship deals. You're on national TV, all this other stuff. Minor league baseball is generally, as far as we are aware, a very cash poor situation for players. You see players living situations all the time where they're living six, seven in a one bedroom. They, at the point in which they get their rookie deal, they've earned that. And a lot of players wash out and they don't ever make it. And those guys get screwed. Raising the minimum for those guys to 650K, that's pennies to a guy like John Henry who's in the market to buy a basketball team after spending $900 million on a hockey team. He owns the biggest baseball franchise on the Eastern Seaboard except the New York Yankees. He owns Liverpool Football Club. It's just a piece of the puzzle. Like, he shouldn't even be in the room. He should just say, yeah, blank check, let's go, let's play. He's making so much money and he does not care because he wants to stick it to the players. I don't understand how anyone can side with the owners in this situation. And I know, Terry, you're about to. Well, Henry's just, Henry wasn't there. I will say that. They thought he was going to be there, but he wasn't. So, I, but fair he enough. Was, he wasn't like, maybe he's that. just... And maybe he's just the scapegoat I use because he's the one I'm most familiar with, right? I know he's not one of the cash poor, you know, guys who cries cash poor and doesn't want to play. But the fact that there are owners like that is an embarrassment to the sport. All right. So here's where I'm at. I don't think the owners lowballed the players. Could they have been a little more generous in some areas? Absolutely. Should they have been a little bit more generous after 2020 with that whole debacle? Absolutely. But they did make some concessions here. The major league minimum salary this year is going to be 700,000. That's up from 570,000. So anybody making their debut this year is going to have a 20% raise over the players that debuted last year. So Tristan Casas, for example, Andrew, you've said, and I'm I'm assuming this was probably with a normal spring training, he had a shot to make the team right out of the gate. So so he would be making 700K. I think that's a big win for the players. The other thing the league uh, basically dropped was the compensation pick for anybody that was tied to a qualifying offer. That's massive. How many players in the last several years got screwed because they had a pick attached to them? That's gone now. So free agency is going to be a lot more fair and, and players are going to, they're going to have much bigger markets. So I think that's a big win uh, for the players. And then finally, this didn't happen until late, but the owners basically, came way down on the uh, luxury tax penalties and they're essentially going to be what they have been. So you're still going to have the big market teams exceeding it for at least probably a year or two. If you're talking about, well, I don't know if the Red Sox ever will again, that's a conversation for another show, but typically Boston has exceeded it quite a bit. The Yankees, the Dodgers, um, perhaps one or two other teams I'm, I'm forgetting, but I, I think I think the owners 
are trying to help here a little bit. And the thing that frustrates me the most, more than anything, is we only got serious in the last week. The lockout started December 1st. What, why weren't why weren't these happening at least two or three times a week in December? They were putting together a 1,300-page proposal, literally 1,300 pages the league was, which was obviously going to get denied in two seconds by the union and wasted all that time. So I just think they go the worst way about doing this, and I'm frustrated that they just weren't a lot more orderly because... We'd be starting spring training right now. A bunch of free agents would have signed. And I'm a little concerned about pitching at this point because I'm assuming these guys have been working out on some kind of a program on their own. Perhaps they've hired an ex-pitching coach to help them. But you're going to have guys blowing out elbows because they didn't have a normal spring training. Oh, yeah. Injuries are going to be up significantly and that's actually like it's like oh crap thank god we did sign like rich hill and paxton and all these guys and they'll probably have to sign like a call McHugh or something else but yeah they'll be healthy it, now yeah, <laughs> I mean, we exactly. might we might see them healthy in, in week one of the season whitlock will be stretched out uh but yeah it took them 43 days to get their first offer over to the players and it's not like the players were like don't don't send us anything no, they locked the players out. The players didn't choose this. They could have at any time lifted the lockout. Now, obviously, if they did, there would probably be a strike midway through the year. But they could have kept negotiating in good faith if they didn't, from the jump, lock the players out and just said, we're going one more year. We're going to figure this out on the fly. But they didn't. They didn't even try. Well, they didn't even try because they don't want to play April and May. They have, they have no intention of playing April and May. I mean, Andrew, you already said that, but I think at this point it's pretty clear. My question for you, Terry, as somebody who thinks that the owners made concessions, which they did, granted, what do you think the sticking points are? And why aren't the owners moving? Well, they want the CBT to be higher, and you you did kind of touch on that, Job, and it's kind of goofy. I, I don't know why they wrote it out the way they did, but it's going to stay, at least as of right now, it's going to stay at 220 for three years. We've never seen that. It's always gone up incrementally. and then Well, Terry, I can explain why it's going up or why it's not going up if you want. The reason they don't want it to go up is because they don't want to have to pay taxes on signing players when they already have contracts. Giving it three years gives time for all those expensive contracts to get off the books before you can – and it gives everyone a chance to reset their tax penalties and thresholds. I guess. I mean, it it stays at at 220 for three years, then it goes up to 224, and then it goes up to 230. And I think that's, I think 230 at the end of this deal is healthy because it was at 210 last year. So we're up, we're, we're increasing. And, and like Manfred said today, and believe me, I'm not a Rob Manfred guy, but, but he has underscored that this current proposal, as far as the CBT is basically the same incremental, you know, rise as, as previous years. Here's another thing, too. This is only a five-year deal. The NFL has, what, 10? Is that what we figured out? 
So their I labor, believe it's 10. Yeah, their labor agreements go 10. So what if what if the league was feeling extra generous, okay? The union wanted to start it at 238, which is massive. That's 28 million over what it was last year. I think that's massive. And then it was going to end at what? 256. So say say the league just agrees to that. Okay, fine. I we'll give you that one. Where do you go in five years? They're going to want it to go over three hundred million, probably on the next deal. You can't do that. That's just too high. So I just. But then on the other hand, what if they did make it three hundred million this year? Do teams really have to spend it? Are the Red Sox going to go and spend three hundred million? No, but I mean, the Orioles have about one hundred and seventy million dollars worth of wiggle room. It's you know they don't they're never going to spend up to the CPT. And like the NFL, their salary caps jumping twenty six million dollars this year, and that's what it does pretty much every year. Every time that there's a new contract deal with for TV or Red Zone moving to Amazon or gambling deals, the players are getting a cut of that. The cap goes up baseball it's like no that that's ours but but unlike (laughs) unlike football though these guys are getting fully guaranteed contracts and they're the only athletes in pro sports that get that they are but only the top of the line guys are making that giant money and same with the nfl ones and those are essentially you know most of them are the you know they're getting their signing bonus which is fully guaranteed and those are you know, pretty significant. True. Uh, but I mean, still, if, if Nathan Avaldi, for instance, has to have another Tommy John this year, he's getting everything. He's getting his full. I just feel like they're, they're the most protected, you know, salary wise. Well, they're the sport. best union in sports. They, they're they one do. of the best unions in America. Yeah, absolutely. I and- can't. You can't argue with that. The The guy leading the charge for the union to, to stay hardline on this whole thing and not cave to the owner's demands is Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer makes $43 million a year on his contract alone. And then you can add another, what, 12, 15 from endorsements, commercials, you know, Gatorade, shoe deal, the whole nine yards. He's not a poor man by any means. But... I mean, this is billionaires versus millionaires. And when you really break it down that simply, can we provide protections for those that aren't in the millionaire club? Yes, they did it. They moved it from 500 to 700. You said that, Terry. What they're not doing is is moving on the big issues. And I think the reason is they're not going to move on competitive issues. The players aren't. The players want the league to remain competitive. They want 12 playoff teams. They don't want 14. The league wants more playoff games, more playoff games, more TV revenue, more ticket sales, etc. I think the owners would move the competitive balance tax if there were more teams. They would move the CBT up if more teams were willing to make the playoffs. And I think players really want a salary floor in in baseball, and that's never going to happen. I was going to bring that up because... It was apparently never brought up. That's never been an issue that has had momentum all winter because I, I agree there should be a floor. Whether it's I push back on that. So that was brought up by some writers, and it was shot down pretty quick because the, they said the second the players see a salary floor, they'll see a salary cap. 
So they don't want a minimum because then the owners will just be like, well, if there's a minimum, there's going to be a maximum and a hard maximum at that. And if there's a hard maximum, forget the whole CBT. These guys aren't making $40 million a year. It's just not going to happen. But I think there are certain teams, and this is why I'm against MLB expansion. Put it out there. I don't want any more MLB teams. In fact, if they want to remove a couple of teams, I'm okay with it. You want to remove teams from markets that don't deserve it, like Miami right now? Talk about a team that doesn't deserve it. I mean, Derek Jeter resigned from Miami. Reports are that he resigned because ownership wouldn't greenlight a signing of Nick Castellanos. <laughs> I mean, Nick Castellanos is a game changer. You're an organization that's building. Kim Ang is a great general manager. We talked about her for an entire episode. Talk about women changing sports. But they will not pay players in Miami. They just don't care. They're all about the bottom line and your tax dollars pay for the stadium and if they're not making their $100 million, they're not going to pay the players. Well, we're about 20 years removed from when the Twins and the Expos were supposed to be contracted in 2001, so <laughs> I don't think it ever go for it, but I'm, I'd support it. I just I feel like there are teams that don't deserve, there's cities that don't deserve teams right now but there are teams that really don't deserve to be in markets right now. The Kansas City Royals should not be, you know, crying cash poor. Their owner's worth $5 billion. Billion with a B. I mean, this is an embarrassment to the sport. It's an embarrassment. The fans don't deserve this. The fans want to see baseball played, and it's unfortunate that it's going to end up with us being a little bit angry at the players because a lot of the players don't deserve this. Baseball is is aging in some ways. Marcus Stroman is one of those guys. I know both of you guys hate Marcus Stroman. Uh, he doesn't. He right, I do. <laughs> well, he has the right attitude about growing the game. I'm a Stroman. If you're going <laughs> to get – I am too. But if you're going to get on social media, you're going to be fired up. You're going to engage fans. You're going to talk to people. You're going to grow the game. Someone said today that Fernando Tatis Jr. and Mike Trout have 1.8, 1.9 million followers on social media. 1.9 million followers in the NBA is like Tyler Harrow was the comparison they gave. He's like a mid-tier player on the Miami Heat. Not a big deal. You're not talking about a LeBron, right? Like, it's just the mid-tier guys have better social media followings, are making more money on endorsements than MLB players. And MLB is not trying to move the needle to embrace its players, change the game, make it more interesting, because they don't care. They're just stamping, they're just stamping their forms. Yes, we're making $640,000 a game. I mean, that's insane. Pay the players. Let's play ball. That was kind of a – see, when you gave the Atlanta financials and they were, what, 100 and – no, they were $96 million. $104 million for the year. $104 million for the year. So that's the leftover money after all the bills have been paid, all the players have been paid. That's just profit. That's what goes in the owner's pocket. That's, that's what, it. But – in a way, I mean, well, I guess, okay, yeah, so never mind. My analogy wasn't going to work because I was thinking you're going to be paying Freddie Freeman $180 million potentially, but that's over the course of several years, not just one. So, I mean, so, yeah, you're going to pay him $32 million, right? So, I mean, that's going to eat away at your, your revenue. But if you look at what he's making now versus what he will be making, okay, instead of making 104 next year, you're going to make 97 uh, cry me a cry me a river man and again that's 
that doesn't take into account full ballparks for an entire season after winning a World Series. And you know those books are cooked a little bit too to show less profit. <laughs> uh, Ted Turner's not a rookie. Everything <laughs> they can write off, they're writing off. Let's be real. The best tax attorneys in the world are working for Major League Baseball, let's be honest. I, I agree with you, Andrew. And, and Terry, you know, the analogy you make, I mean, yeah, they're going to make less money, but if they're spent, you know, say for, for reference, the Red Sox spent, what, $209 million last year, right? I don't know what the Red Sox profits were, but I imagine they're probably similar to, to what you saw in Atlanta. Probably somewhere in the 90 to $100 million range. We, have, we love baseball in Boston. That's why we do a show. I would very much doubt that someone like John Henry, who has many revenue streams, cares whether it's 97 or 90 because it's green and he can count it. And he can put it in the ledger, and then he can go buy a hockey team. Or in this case, you know, reports are, Andrew, I saw this from you. Reports are they're thinking about a team in Vegas, right? Bill Simmons. And he's going to be in on that. John Henry sees a way to make a buck, he makes a buck. And he's going to squeeze every last dollar of, of profit out of a team. But when push comes to shove, he wants to play because he wants that $700,000 a game. And a lot of these guys do. The guys that don't are the Orioles the Royals, the Brewers, probably the Athletics. Teams with bad stadiums, weaker fan bases because they don't pay players and they don't compete. It's it's the the worst side of Moneyball. The, the point I was making, though, is players under this last proposal that was given shortly before 5 p.m. today, I think it was at 3.30 p.m., they're still way better off this year than they were last year. <laughs> so I just it's it's frustrating and, and the fact that we have no baseball again this is going to be the third straight non-normal year and and 2019 sucked for us i mean we weren't really we were we been good since 18 exactly so we haven't we haven't had a team to feel great about since then or a season to feel great about i just want baseball on my tv i don't care if it's a brewers reds game i just want normal baseball but let's uh, let's kind of get into a different topic here. It is related to the can, CBA. Can I do one th oh, sure. quick go, thing? Go ahead. Since you did just bring up how we haven't had normal baseball in three years, I want to get off the topic of players and owners. This doesn't just affect players and owners. The owner, the players are going to get a stipend. That's going to happen. I think they're getting fifteen grand or something like that. But you know who's not? The bar across the street from the park that has gone through a crap fall, a crap winter, spring comes around, usually they're packed. So you know what? That server making $7 an hour, that you know they bank on those tips of all those tables being filled, they're not going to be filled. There's nothing to watch. There's no reason to go down into the ballpark area now. And I can speak firsthand because I've owned a food truck. I've ran multiple food trucks. And we, I mean, the Rockies Stadium, Coors Field, I would be at breweries days of games. And my revenue went up exponentially. And that covered for a crap winter and a crap fall when the weather was terrible, when people weren't out. So it helps you make a living. The owners aren't thinking of these people right now. I know people that work at breweries downtown Denver that are screwed at this point because, you know, they're a block within Coors Field. 
bunch of servers that were within a block of course field that every single night and every single weekend are filled to the brim are going to be empty. And those people are never going to make that money back. And guess who doesn't care? They're landlords. They're you know, credit card collectors, car bill. You know, people come for that. The credit unions for the car bill. They don't care. They're like, well, too bad. I'm sorry. No, they're ne they're never going to make that money back in all that lost revenue, and it sucks because you know they did nothing wrong. That's true. Local economies are dependent on the, on their sports franchises, so not not a bad point at all. Um, I did kind of to kind of piggyback off of that. I did put a tweet out, I think, yesterday on the Bastards account on Twitter. See, owners have these endless revenue shares. They're going to be billionaires forever, even if this is only half a season. They're gonna they're gonna have a full season next season and and beyond, and hopefully the next labor agreement in what is it twenty twenty seven twenty twenty eight goes a little bit smoothly. So they're going to have these permanent rev revenue streams forever. But a free agent like Nick Castellanos. He, he only has a certain window to get wealthy, and we're cutting into it right now. So the owners do have all the, all the advantage right now in terms of, of negotiations and what the, the final outcome ends up being before they do get on the field. So um, I want to get into the playoff formats here a, a little bit. Um, so... The league wanted 14, as Andrew said in the open. The players settled on 12. I'm kind of surprised the players are even going for that because the more playoff teams there are, the less incentive there is to make big splash contracts because teams are going to be like, well, you know, we got a good chance to make it anyway. So many teams get in. So why spend all that money when we're probably going to get in? So I'm surprised the players even went to 12. And we just had one of the best wild card races we've ever seen this past year. I mean, I, and I've said this before, the Toronto Blue Jays, if the Red Sox lose one more game, the Toronto Blue Jays force the game 163. And if, if they would have got in by hook or by crook, I think they go to the World Series. I think they would I think they would have went there. Whether they beat Atlanta, that's that's up for debate. You know, Atlanta just seemed like the team of destiny, especially with that epic second half comeback, but but it it was a it was an epic race. So I I just I hate that they're messing with it, but yeah, it it makes no sense. And that's another thing. I, I don't know if it was Heyman. They're like, you know, the the owners are willing to concede to make it only twelve. It's like no, it they're still winning. The owners are still winning on this. The players are accepting 12. It affects competitive balance. You know how dumb the trade line trade trade deadline would have been if it was 14 teams? We wouldn't have had to record another one. <laughs> another pod last year after, you know, sure. after we finished there would be no trades. There would be no reason to spend money. You could win 79 games in a disappointing season. Shit, the 2019 uh, Red Sox might have repeated. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. It, it would have been so absolutely asinine to bring half the league into the playoffs. And your number two starter has like a 5-2 ERA. Yeah, that's what everyone wants to watch. 
Well, let's let's you know look at the other side of that. The players horse traded this, right? They didn't want fourteen. They didn't want twelve. They didn't want expansion, but they horse traded it for the five hundred to seven hundred k move that Terry talked about for new players. They are willing to settle on twelve for two reasons. One, there's less movement, which we hate as fans, right? Because especially as people who cover the game, we like trades, we like intrigue. Players like stability. It's why they sign massive contracts. That's why guys have no trade clauses. They don't want to get traded at the deadline. They want to be competitive. They want a chance to make the playoffs. Players understand the product and the need for the product to be great, and that's why they won't move to 14 teams. But with a 12-team move, there's going to be less movement. More teams are going to try to go for it, and more teams are going to spend to that, you know, that phantom minimum that Andrew and I talked about a little bit, and that is a win for the players. A team like the Orioles isn't going to do it, but a team like the Brewers, which has some pretty smart folk in their, uh, you know, in their front office who are making these decisions, they might spend that extra seven, eight, nine million dollars if they think they can get in, and that's a win for the players. But do do they have to if it was 14? You know what I mean? Like, No, they don't. But at 12, they, they might still. And that's a that's a horse trade that the players are willing to make. I think it said that the Phillies would have been in last year at 80 and 82, I believe was the tweet I saw. If I'm out on that. Game. Never mind. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> and now the AL East, it's great for. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I... It's just another reason because an owner can spend, you know, 80 and be like, well, we, you know, we, we got the eight seed last year. Uh, we did really well. <laughs> it's like spend no. 75. Yeah, exactly. It's like, where, where's the line of just mediocrity well, I mean, that they have the, to reach? The owners are at a point where they would prefer the season to be 140 games and more playoff games. Cause that's where all the revenue really kicks in. That's where they make all their money. People buy more beer in the playoffs. People like October baseball. Uh, expanding it gives teams like the Orioles, like the uh, Kansas City Royals, like the Minnesota Twins, a chance to sell more beer and more tickets and more merchandise and more commercials on television. And that's what they're looking for. On a From a player's perspective, they're trying to give as little as possible because they have to do this again in six years. Can we please expand the competitive balance tax just a little bit and maybe we'll do labor negotiations every 10 years so that we don't have the same players negotiating it three times and they're over the course of their careers that would be great for baseball well i i don't know if that'll that's a, a long shot i think but i as far as less games go i'm definitely not for having less games. If they want to knock it down to to one fifty four, you'd lose. You'd probably, in theory, you'd lose one home series, one away series. Okay, fine. That would allow for another built in round of playoffs. I, I'd I'd go to one fifty four uh, instead of one sixty two, but I'd hate to drop it. You know more than that. I I just want more baseball, and so. Another side thing, we were talking about this before uh, the show because I was trying to, I misunderstood the uh, format uh, for for how they would go. So with 12 teams getting in, that's six in each league. 
the top two teams would get buys. So that means one division winner, in theory, is going to be stuck in a wild card round, which would be best two out of three. So four out of the six would be in the wild card round playing two out of three. Top two get buys, kind of like the way football used to be in a way. Here's where I'm going to get a little radical. Why not just scrap the divisions at this point? Just have two leagues. Rivalries. Well, no, I agree. I mean, look at you could just do best of eight, best or however best or best six in each uh, conference. I'd be down with it. I don't see why not. Because what I like radical. Because <laughs> what what would you be doing in this scenario? I I don't have the standings in front of me, but would you have had two AL East teams? Having a three. Buy. Yeah, but two having a Oh, you definitely, and yes. Faced, and then two yes. facing each other last year? Is that how yes. it worked out? The Rays, <laughs> the Red Sox would be would be in the, the buy seat, and the Yankees and the Rays would be facing each other, I believe. Sorry, Comedy Central. Go fuck yourself. Like, try <laughs> to win more than 62 games. I Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm absolutely on board if you want to do, I mean, hell, if they proposed a 14 team playoff with um, just straight seven down there, best seven, I think the players might actually even go for that. I think the players might. I think fans won't. And here's why there's something inherent to baseball about watching your division, rooting against the Yankees, no matter what is going on, is like it's in your blood. It just you have to as a fan of the Red Sox. You're watching the Yankees score. You know my grandfather still opens the newspaper every day, and the first thing he flips to is the sports section, and it's what happened in the division. Everything else he could care less. Did we win the division? Because that's how baseball has been for so long. You go back to the '70s, some of those games that were great, Game 163 against the Yankees to win the pennant. Those are things that are inherent to baseball they don't have in other sports, and that's why I don't think baseball will ever go for it. Not that the players wouldn't, but I think fans would be very very against that and baseball fans you know they're notorious like terry they don't like change (laughs) well we're getting a lot of change here uh, you know whether we want to or not i'm just trying to do some math here so 15 yeah that doesn't add up so you would roughly what kind of math were you trying to do I was trying to figure if you're just dividing it into two conferences, so you're scrapping the division, so American League and then National League, you'd play but East East and West. I think you read. I think you redraw the map. You redraw. The I'm map. okay with that. All right. I'm, Can I'm, we put a team in Montreal first? Nah. <laughs> so here, here's where I was going. If if it was all one conference, you're playing each team roughly. 10 times it's 10.8 so if you want to go 10 or 11 fine so you're losing roughly eight or nine games against the yankees there would be eight or nine less red sox yankees games because you'd have to play everybody an even number of times if you go i don't think they would do it that way if you need 18 games you would have to though because if we got stuck playing 20 yankees games but another team didn't they would have an easier schedule so it would have to you'd have to play everyone an even number of times but if you go east west so it would be two conferences on each side then 
perhaps you you get your Yankees games back, but um, it's it's so confusing. (laughs) I don't think they would do it, and and the big reason is this: there are no television events in baseball more watched than Red Sox, Yankees, or Dodgers, Giants, or Cubs, Cardinals. That's just it. Those are the games that people tune in to watch. Those are the most expensive tickets. Those are the ones where I'm willing to go spend $300 a ticket to then go buy another $18 beer and sit there for three and a half hours. It is, I think, inherent to baseball that they've pushed more and more of these games. Well, I can remember, you know, the last five years it's been, how many games do we have against Yankees? 12, and then it's 16. And the next year it's 18, and then it's 20. And it's they're going to keep pushing that. Okay, hear, hear me out here. If you look at the NBA and just double their double their uh, matchups, right? Because right now they're at 82 games. Baseball's at 162. The Celtics play the Sixers. That's a great rivalry. Four times a year. So you'd have eight times a year Red Sox-Yankees. It might add something to it, honestly, playing each other. A little bit of spice? Yeah, less watered down. And then, you know, you, you're facing the each NL team. You'd have to figure that out because I know you play a home and away for each team again, I, uh, out I, of conference in NBA. I think interleague would go away, I'm guessing. But oh, I don't think so. It would have to go down to, like, what it was in the early 90s Just June. when we first introduced it. Just one series, one game. But I don't think they would ever do away with interleague because that's the only way they market some of these West Coast teams. I mean, that's how they build the game in some of these lesser-watched communities. Does it still have the juice? Because when it was, you know, when it was first brought in in the nineties, it was like, oh my god, this is we can finally have a chance to watch. I mean, it's a universal DH. Team. Does it matter? No, I guess not that too. But like, right? so many- the rules are all going to be the same. Streaming services, MLB TV, ESPN, TBS, you know, it's not like it's the only other time to see these guys is during the All-Star game. True, but how many times, and we are the outliers, guys, as as baseball fans, and I would say borderline fanatics, right, where we watch every game, we then dissect every game with each other for hours, we go on Twitter and spend hours talking about it, sometimes we tune into sports radio to listen to it, you know, we are the outliers. A lot of people, they turn the game on, they watch the game, they go to bed, right? They turn on Nesson, they give John Henry his money, and that's it. It's, I think, important to Major League Baseball and, and more important to ESPN and Fox and the TV money that they get those marquee matchups. I, I just don't see it happening. There's still a lot to interpret. We don't know what their mindset is, but I think the league could end up looking a little bit different. Uh, If you're going to have six teams across three divisions, I think it just gets really confusing. Uh, um, And regardless, I mean, we were were scoreboard watching Seattle (laughs) for, for the last couple weeks. Like, that's how intense it got. So, um, and it was awesome. Yeah. Like, sign me up for more interesting baseball. I'm in. Right. So I guess I think we covered a, a lot of what we, we could cover. Um, there also a draft lottery. That's up to five teams that are in it. Hopefully that's nothing that's ever going to concern us because we're going to be, you know, competitive every year. 
but uh, th that, that's another topic that will come up. So we'll see how uh, we'll wrap on that. We'll see how the uh, second half of this week goes. I'm just hoping that the players are already doing the math and they're thinking, oh, geez, I'm losing six games. What's another six going to cost me? And then maybe maybe the anxiety goes up and the urgency to make a deal happens. But Everyone throw out your over-under. Give me your date. Oh. June 1st. Well, hold on. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Actually, a date for first game or a date for a deal? They're two very date different Date for answers. opening day of baseball. I'll say May regular first. season. I'm saying May first. What, what day? What day is the schools get out? June twentieth. <laughs> yeah. that, that's my date. Right. I'm gonna say June first. Jeez. I hope you guys are right and I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be the most optimistic guy on this crew, but especially not on this crew. <laughs> no. I'm all out of hope. I got nothing. I got nothing in the tank. <laughs> all right. Well hopefully we'll be back maybe Sunday or perhaps another day next week if anything does uh, develop but it was good to be back dust off the microphones and uh, talk a little bit of baseball this is the most I've used my baseball brain since November that insane 30-day period we had um, so I literally had to google which team Marcus Stroman signed with I forgot <laughs> and I'm like oh the Cubs you know, that's probably why I forgot, uh, you know, because they're going to suck for that whole three years he signed for. But all right. So we'll be back hopefully more sooner than later. Everybody take care. Have a good rest of your week.